There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. A new book is set for release in September. It's going to highlight the history of revival, not just in Australia, but tracing it way back to the book of Acts and subsequent revivals all the way to the present-day modern Australia. The authors hope these revival accounts will fan the flames of revival again today. In preparation for the book to be called Great Southland Revival, the authors are hosting a podcast series by the same name. They are also interested in hearing from listeners to our conversation today with details of any Australia-based revival stories that you've personally experienced or that you might have heard from uh, and about from prior decades and perhaps prior generations, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. Well, the two authors of this new book, Warwick Marsh and Kurt Mulberg. Warwick Marsh founded Dads for Kids, co-founded the National Day of Thanks. He helped establish the National Day of Prayer and Fasting and with other faith leaders drafted the Canberra Declaration. Kurt Mulberg is Research and Features Editor at the Canberra Declaration. He's author of the book Cross and Culture, Can Jesus Save the West? And Kurt is the co-editor and a contributing author of The Blessing of Almighty God from back in 2020. Uh, To you first of all, Kurt, welcome along. Thanks so much, Neil. It's really great to be with you again. And to you, Warwick, welcome along. It's always fantastic to talk to you, Neil. We just love it, and we love to pray with you before we come on, too. That's the highlight. Hey, fabulous, stuff. fabulous stuff. Hey, listen, let's go to you, Kurt, first. Uh, the Great Southland Revival. Uh, this is a book you've got coming out in September, and you're taking an opportunity today. What a wonderful opportunity it is to be a part of the research for what might be included in this book. Give us your insights into uh, what's coming in September. Yeah, thanks so much, Neil. We are doing, as you mentioned, a podcast series. Uh, So we've been interviewing and have about probably 10 or 12 more interviews lined up with people who have researched revivals in Australia and also, you know, stretching all the way back in in church history. And so we're we're talking to these people who've authored books and um, authored their PhD theses on this topic. And it's been a fantastic opportunity to learn more about revival. And so essentially what we're trying to do is to put all of that into one book that tells the story of how we got to where we are as modern Australia and particularly the big revival events that have happened in our history. Um, Australia is a fascinating place in the sense that when it comes to revival, a lot of authors have suggested that Australia has never seen revival. And we're hoping to challenge that idea because when you open up the history books, um, as I've done the last couple of months, I've been really surprised, to be honest, to learn just how... Uh, much the Holy Spirit has been at work in Australia for hundreds of years. And so we're hoping to really bring that story to light and in doing so encourage uh, revival today as well. 
Warwick Marsh, how significant it is uh, to talk about Australian revivals because uh, some people will think, oh, I can think of big revivals like the Welsh Revival or the Azusa Street Revival in the United States. Uh, but what about our revivals in Australia? What do you mean by revival when we talk about this? Well, you've uh, hit me with some pretty big questions there. Um, <laughs> uh, number one, and thank you for them, um, let me try to answer them as best I can with my feeble mind. Number one, when I was a young man, uh, would have been 73, I'd just come to Wollongong, a preacher got up in the church and said, Australia has never experienced a revival. And... You know, obviously the definition of revival is a big question as well, but in the sense that, we're, you know, multitudes uh, come to Christ and the church is revived and churches are growing. People come to Christ in their hundreds and their thousands and uh, there's a change actually in the culture. There's actually a change that happens within that community. It might be a small community, it might be a big community, it might be the nation, and that's how we're uh, approaching the term revival. So it has to be significant and it has to be a change. So that's the definition of revival. And yes, there's probably a hundred other definitions, but that's what we're using. Um, that's number one. Number two, um, he, he got and said, Australia has not experienced a revival like that. Well, you know, I believed him because I didn't know any better. But I've since found out after reading books by Stuart Piggin, um, books by um, uh, Robert Evans, uh, retired Methodist minister, uh, Stuart Piggins is, by the way, the, um, the the author of two amazing books on history, which Kurt probably be happy to tell you about. But he's he's discovered dozens of revivals, and Robert Evans talks about probably up to hundreds of revivals, and even going into the South Seas, New Zealand, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, and so Australia has experienced significant revi- significant revivals. There was a revival um, back here in um, in the Wollongong area where I where I um, where I live. So I live in Wollongong, and, and in 1830, Marshall Mount, a Methodist lay preacher, came out from England, and he saw multitudes come to Christ, and it was just amazing what happened. And, uh, and then in, there, there was a, a revival in, a, in, a, in Parramatta, which really spread a, a, across Sydney, and it was, it, was, it was amazing. And again, that was John Watford, and that was, uh, he was a young man of about 21 years of age, and he prayed, he fasted with his, with his two other friends, and they saw a mighty move of God and people come to Christ in their droves. And um, so, yes, Australia has experienced revivals. We've got a rich revival heritage and history, and especially through the 1800s. It seems as if the 1800s was just like almost like a, um, a wave of, of uh, revival campaigns, and especially amongst the Methodist, Methodist Church, but also as well, and then subsequently the Salvation Army in the late 1800s. But back to you. Kurt Mulberg, has it been a surprise to you when, uh, you know, as Warwick says, there's not just been dozens, but even potentially hundreds of revivals that have happened on our shores here in Australia? Yes, absolutely. And one of the fascinating things is that I guess it depends which author you read as to which revival movements or denominational movements they've been tapped into. So I recently read Barry Chant's Heart of Fire. Uh, it's a book uh, written in the 1970s and it's about the history of Pentecostalism. And what I read there and the revival movements that I read about there, I'd actually never heard about elsewhere, most of them. Um, and then reading Stuart Piggin, so he is the author of The Fountain of Public Prosperity uh, and a, a number of other really significant books on Australian history. 
And uh, he, he was probably a little bit more focused perhaps on the uh, mainline denominations, Anglican and, and also Methodist uh, denominations. And so there was a whole lot of um, amazing revival movements that he documented there. And so uh, I think tracing all these different denominational traditions and and tapping into authors who've written on you know these sort of different aspects of Australian history, when you put it all together, it, it really is quite breathtaking what God has been up to. And uh, so that's that's something that we're really excited about doing. Great to be able to talk about revival and on a local level, at a regional level, and also on a national level, because a lot of people will identify that the closest we've ever come to national revival in Australia uh, might be Billy Graham arriving on our shores back in 1959. Uh, This is an event that is still, it just, uh, it affects so many. I mean, there's so many leaders that actually came to Christ in that time, 1959, Billy Graham, a revival in Australia. Uh, This is one of those significant times to talk about Warwick Marsh. Uh, This would be the closest we've ever come. To a national revival. Look, uh, look I would agree with you. Um, I've I've researched that revival. Stuart Piggins has really done a great job of research. There's been a document. There's been documentaries about it, um, and, uh, and in fact, I'm a testimony to it myself. So, as a four year old boy in my father's arms, Billy Graham gave an appeal in in um, uh, you know 1959. I can remember. Remember, it was it was grey. It was raining. Everyone was with umbrellas and trench coats, and Billy Graham's preaching in this huge, you know, stadium. I think it was a, it was a cricket ground, and he made an appeal. Now I don't remember this, but my dad said to me when I was uh, he's passed on to glory now. God bless him. Uh, he he told me the story that when Billy Graham made the appeal, I said, Dad, can I get in the front? And of course, he had to take me in his arms, and so I gave my life to Jesus. As a young boy, four years of age, and here I am preaching the gospel, uh, now telling you about Jesus, writing books about revival, working with people, wonderful people like Kurt to proclaim the gospel in our nation, to see our nation come back to Christ. I've seen three or 4,000 people come to Christ over the last 32 years of ministry, um, and we've been able to affect, uh, at times, nations. Um, we've been to preaching the gospel in you know, <clears throat> over 20 nations around the world. Is, is that not a product of revival? Now, I, I'm not saying any glory to me. I'm saying all glory to God. So, Leal Dio Gloria. But Billy Graham came to this nation of Australia, an extraordinary effect on the nation. Uh, alcohol consumption went down. Uh, illegitimate births went down. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people professed a faith in Christ, and it really rocked the nation. And we would, I would call that period a, a time of revival by all accounts. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts, thoughts about the uh, 59 revival, Kurt? Yeah, Warwick, you're not the first person I've heard um, a testimony from where you came to faith through Billy Graham's Crusades. I've, I feel like I've met probably dozens of, um, you know, what we'd call baby boomers, people from your generation, uh, who, you know, when you ask them what's your story of faith, the Billy Graham Crusades are sort of top of the list when it comes to significant events, um, if not the event that brought them to Christ. So. Yes, absolutely. It's probably a period of Australia's history I'm a bit less familiar with and haven't um, haven't looked at as much in the research as other periods. But absolutely, I think uh, that that would be something most Australian Christians would agree on, that that's the closest we've ever come to national revival, the Billy Graham Crusades. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Our two special guests, Warwick Marsh and Kurt Mulberg, uh, they are the authors of what will be a book to be released in September. 
utilising an opportunity today to do a little extra research because they'd love to hear from listeners who might have a contribution to how that book looks because there might be some family connection to some of the revivals that have happened in Australia and uh, numbering those in dozens or even hundreds of revivals. Uh, Let me just come back to revival and the effects of revival because uh, I mentioned even in the introduction the thought that a new book about revival may help to fan the flames of revival for what might be to come. Kurt Mulberg, the sorts of things that you would anticipate uh, from a new revival in Australia. I mean, we're hearing about Warwick and the way his life changed from a decision made in a Billy Graham crusade. What could happen in Australia if there were a new revival today? Yeah, that's a great question, Neil. And perhaps a good way to answer that is by looking at what sort of social effect past revivals have had in Australia. One of my favourite stories comes from the area Warwick's from down near Wollongong. And there were um, major revivals that took place in the Illawarra region. And that was mostly among people who worked in the mines. And it was a very rough culture. And when these large numbers of these miners were coming to faith, Um, debts were being paid off, people were back in church, uh, families were getting restored. And one of the most famous stories is that the pit ponies who would help uh, the miners carry the coal back and forth, they were no longer able to understand um, the the miners because originally they'd been swearing at them. That was the way they'd communicate with these uh, pit ponies. But uh, because they came to faith and they no longer spoke like that, pit ponies were confused. They didn't know what to do. So um, a really quirky and funny uh, story. But that just demonstrates how how important it is that revival um, actually changes the sort of social fabric of of a society of a group of people. Um, you know, renewal or reformation that might be a word we could use to describe when the church is refreshed, when believers um, are renewed in their faith. But revival is different because it actually results in in cultural change, in social change. And so, in modern Australia, if if we were to see something happen today, I believe we would see uh, restoration of families. Um, I believe we'd see the divorce rate come down. I I think we would, um, particularly on the issue, this is something that both Warwick and I are very passionate about, um, the issue of life. Uh, Abortion, there are, I think it's about 100,000 abortions per year. That's probably a lower estimate, um, which is just tragic. It's this silent holocaust that's going on and it's been going on for decades. And it's something that's kind of hidden behind closed doors and not talked about. And if you do talk about it, you're in a lot of trouble, um, you know, with mainstream culture. But um, what what we're doing with abortion is just horrific. And I believe one of the greatest signs of revival, if it were to happen in Australia, would be an end to abortion, um, just to the mass slaughter of, of, of the unborn. Um, and I mean, there's so many other things that we could talk about. Obviously, um, there's a lot happening in culture that, you know, a lot of your listeners, Neil, would be aware of. Um, where we've sort of morally gone downhill. And I think you could pick any one of those aspects uh, of, of what's happening in Australia today and we would actually see um, a huge turnaround in, in those ways uh, because at heart, revival is more than people just becoming more passionate about their faith or people coming to faith. It's actually about moral reform. It's about uh, a whole nation uh, or a whole group of people returning to God and following him again. And we might even ask, how does that all happen? Because if we understand what happens when there is an encounter with God, we're going to be able to understand a little bit about more what uh, transformation looks like. Uh, Warwick, you were even describing your own story there. But uh, if this were to happen en masse today, people coming to faith, changing in a dramatic way their view of what is true and what is right, uh, this has potential for a major change, doesn't it? Look, uh, Neil, um, 
history is scattered with, um, you know, revival stories. We just sort of jump, say, to America. The revivals that occurred through Jonathan Edwards, 1735, uh, circa 1735, 1740, and around that same time, uh, Whitfield, George Whitfield was preaching, I think, 17. 17- 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. He was going backwards and forwards between England. And he was had, had reaching crowds of, you know, 15, 20,000 people. And that absolutely set the stage for the American Revolution in a, in a godly way, I believe. I mean, war is sad and revolution is sad, but ultimately the, those guys really prayed and they felt that was a, they had to do what they did. And it really set up the nation. So the, the, out of the draft of the Constitution... Uh, it's arguably the case which was um, drafted in um, in 17, 1770s, right? In that period, time, history. Um, the I think out of the 32 drafters, 30 of them were were devout Christians. The other two were sort of, if you like, nominal Christians. Um, and they'd all been influenced, um, or many of them had been influenced by that revival period and Whitfield's preaching. So just like Billy Graham influenced me, and it was a time of revival, it was extraordinary. Whitfield would say to people, climb out of that tree. If you, the people would climb up into a tree to see it, get a better view of him. And he'd say, because when the power of God comes, you'll fall out of the tree. And Wesley did the same sort of thing. So it was quite a supernatural time. Um, there were supernatural manifestations, but the big supernatural manifestation was people coming to Christ, people declaring their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, so much so that, that it's, it changed the, the tone of America, and it was an incredible time of history for America, which seeded the change, which ultimately, by the way, um, the, the the constitution and their form of government was was actually enacted, affected our form of government. So we're actually tracking how the effect of revival in America affected Australia. And so, yes, the effects of revival are absolutely extraordinary when people come to Christ, certainly when they come to Christ in mass, as in their hundreds and their thousands and their hundreds of thousands, that actually affects the tone of a nation, of, an, of a region, of a city, and that, that city will change and change for the good. Occasionally we'll talk about the effect of the American Constitution on our own Constitution here in Australia around the time of Federation, and uh, that's another story for another day to go into more deeply. But, uh, Kurt, a spiritual revolution ahead of a revolution that puts God at the centre of a nation. That's what... Warwick is describing here as the story of what happened in the US. I suspect they need their own revivals back again. But this sort of thing, I guess, ahead of any need for a physical revolution to overthrow uh, any particular powers, uh, the spiritual revolution's got to be a real good start, hasn't it? Absolutely. You've tapped into something that's very fascinating in the history of revivals because in England, England had the Great Awakening. Um, This is an event that happened in the early 1700s and there was a second Great Awakening later that same century. And because of the uh, amazing uh, social reform, cultural reform that took place as a result of those revivals, a lot of historians say uh, it is for that reason that England never had the sort of revolution that the French did. Uh, France didn't have uh, that kind of spiritual revolution. Uh, Those, you know, the Great Awakenings, that's not something that touched France. And then within uh, decades, France was in this um, basically bloodbath of, of, uh, of the revolution that took place under um, Napoleon Bonaparte. 
And uh, it's an incredibly bloody period of, period of history, a, a really tragic time. And so historians suggest that uh, if, if it weren't for the Great Awakenings that took place in England, that's what they would have um, experienced. And so in many ways, you could, you could suggest that uh, we've got a choice. We've got a choice between spiritual revolution or actual, you know, quite tragic political revolutions that can take place. Um, you know, when, when we understand how to live civilly with each other, how to relate to each other well, how to follow God and honour him, um, that helps us get along with our fellow man much better. And arguably, the amazing peace and prosperity, the democracy, the freedoms that we've enjoyed in America, in Australia, in, in Western nations for the last um, hundred, couple of hundred years, uh, would not have happened were it not for the spiritual movements that took place um, underpinning them. And who would have thought that revival would be so powerful that it can change an individual, change a community, and then change an entire nation, which is what we're talking about today. And I guess you could even draw an alignment here, couldn't you? And I'll come back to you again on this, Kurt, because Australia, people will argue these days, trying to rewrite the history and say Australia was always a secular state, uh, that it wasn't Christian, but so significant, so permeating were those revivals in the 19th century that Australia was largely Christianized, and our census results for the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, 96% of Australians were Christian, and most of those attended church. Uh, so there is a Christianizing of Australia, and probably as a result, largely, of a lot of those revivals from the 19th century. Absolutely. One of the, I've mentioned Stuart Piggin already, but I'll mention him again because he is just such a brilliant um, authority on this subject. So I encourage your listeners to uh, to pick up his books. He's got a two volume set um, called The Fountain of Public Prosperity and Tending to the National Soul. And it must be something like a thousand pages of Australian history where he just focuses on the role of the evangelical church. Uh, in, in Australia's history. And my eyes were so opened. I've only um, read the first volume. I'm about, I'm about to pick up the second one, but my eyes were so open to uh, the significant ways in which Christians and Christianity as a concept, as a, as a set of beliefs, a set of morals, um, so deeply shaped our nation of Australia. When, when you pick up a secular historic, uh, history book, um, certainly the, the history I learned at school, and I even went to a, a Christian primary school. I, I didn't have any sense of the, the role that Christianity played and that, that um, Bible-believing Christians played in Australia's history. But uh, you cannot tell the, the history of Australia without reference to uh, Jesus and his teachings. It, it really has, these things really have shaped our nation in ways we don't understand. And we are still in many ways, um, you know, living off the fumes of that, of that Christian faith, even if it's largely faded and our census now says the majority of uh, people aren't, you know, Christians and certainly don't go to church. Um, but we're still enjoying the benefits of that, even if those benefits are starting to fade. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just the, the influence Jesus has had on the nation of Australia is absolutely profound. And so it's, it's something that we really look forward to telling. Warwick, you've got your book planned to come out in September and today an opportunity to link with listeners and we'll give a website shortly where listeners can actually send an email and maybe send some of their family history but lots of people are interested in their own genealogies uh, where the connection comes whether your ancestors came as convicts or whether they arrived as migrants but there are genealogies that people are interested in and if they go to their bookshelf and pull off the, the family tree and open those books no doubt there'll be people who are able to identify the Christian history in their own families. And there might even be mentions of the sorts of revivals that were going on. As we said, those were largely widespread in the 19th century. Uh, Warwick, your encouragement for people to make contact with you? 
Yeah, look, um, we are trying to, uh, you know, uh, get the wisdom of, of the collective wisdom of the Christian community as much as we can. Yes, we're doing our own research. Yes, we're doing, we're going to basically all the, all the best writers of, about revival in the last sort of 30, 40 years in Australia. And there's, there's some extraordinary ones, as I'm sure Kurt will agree. Um, but what we are trying to do is to try to sort of <clears throat> put this request out to the general public, Christian public, saying if you've got a, a personal revival story or even as you pointed out um, very, um, very wisely that you might even have a story from the past um, which in a sense we, we are trying to trace the, the, the effect of revival from the, from the book of Acts, the upper room, right through church history, uh, right through you know, England, America, Europe, into Australia. Uh, Warwick, in, just let me in cut in here because we're about to go to news. Uh, Kurt and Warwick, let me come to you here, Kurt. Uh, when we talk about first-hand accounts of revival, uh, family histories in Australia, uh, you'd be interested in connecting with people who've got family histories that go back to the US revivals or uh, the UK revivals like the Welsh revival. Uh, so people connecting with you, uh, uh, with uh, family connections to any of those great revivals. Yeah, that would be amazing, Neil, if any of your listeners have such stories. Um, obviously, you know, through research, we can look at the, the general outline of revival history in Australia. But to hear actual first-hand accounts, especially if it's original material that hasn't been published before and, and your readers would be happy to share that with us, that would be amazing to include that in the story of Australia's revival movements. So, yes, if, if any of your listeners have um, either come to faith themselves in a revival uh, movement in Australia's history or they've got a parent or grandparent or other relatives who have um, been first-hand witnesses of that and there's some documentation of it, we would absolutely love uh, for yeah, them to get in touch with us. We'd and, love to hear and Kurt, there's even connections uh, for revivals that have happened in Melbourne, say around the turn of the 20th century, and uh, maybe even an influence on some of the other revivals that happened uh, in other nations. That's right. I've come across a couple of historians who suggest that a revival movement that took place, uh, particularly in Melbourne in the early 1900s, I think it was around the 1904 to 1907 kind of period, there was an evangelist called R.A. Torrey who came out and thousands and thousands of people came to faith in Christ at that time. And there's a suggestion that what happened in Australia at that time actually helped spark the Welsh revival, which happened very soon after it. And then obviously um, there's a counter influence because Australia benefited from that revival too. So it is amazing how the Holy Spirit has worked through the, the centuries and the decades by sparking a rev revival movement in one place, sparks it somewhere else, and then it can spread back and forth again. So, yeah, quite an amazing um, aspect of our history. So you have these national revival movements, and then you have some more regional revivals and even local revivals. Warwick, you've, you're familiar with, uh, with a, a little place in North Queensland called Pinnacle Pocket, uh, give us some insights into what happened in Pinnacle Pocket. Yeah, look, just to clarify something, just so that uh, people realise we're working on these uh, strict dates. So, <clears throat> uh, to be honest, the revival in Melbourne was not 1902. So that predated the Welsh revival by two years, and arguably um, before that, uh, that was in that was in I think mid-year June July. To, uh, 1902, uh, that was the, the Illawarra, Illawarra sort of coal mine revival occurred in sort of, um, late, um, you know, uh, 
1901 and early 1902. But jumping back to Pinnacle Pocket, yes, it's a very interesting story because there was a farmer who was touched by God in the Welsh Revival in 1904, and his family was deeply touched by God. He came out to Australia, and um, I'm actually just trying to get the exact dates because I think he, he, he started... Um, a farm there. there was, it was. It's a very tropical area, Pinnacle Pocket. I've been there many times myself, ministering to that little church, Aboriginal church up there. But he basically, a church started in his own living room with the Kanakas and an Aboriginal people, and he loved them and he cared for them. And he set up, he gave some of some of his land to to this little church. And out of that little, there was a, a revival took place uh, in that period. Um, where people were so hit by the power of God, they could not speak in English. They literally could not speak in English. They could only speak in tongues. And so the Aboriginal people had to go to the shop and give the people, the, the, the person at the shop, a note. Uh, I, I want, you know, two loaves of bread and, and, and milk and, you know, some cheese because they couldn't actually speak they were so transported and touched by the power of God, they had a heavenly language and they could not speak in an earthly language. And that then went on for several days. Um, that 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 actually uh, that had actually happened. But the, most notably, out of that little church, it's only a little church, but out of that little church where that revival took place. Um, dozens of key leaders came. One of those was Peter, Uncle Peter Morgan, who was a spiritual father to me. He raised six people from the dead and he preached the gospel all over Australia. Again, he was fruit of that, uh, that revival that occurred at Pinnacle Pocket. But that man who actually, if you like, uh, birthed that little church, a white man within, helping working with indigenous people, was touched by the Welsh revival in 1904. So there's a, a spiritual DNA, if you like. Let's talk Indigenous communities around Australia too because uh, these have been central in a number of revivals and I remember just a few years back uh, talking to a uh, uniting and uh, connected Anglican church minister who was up on Cape Cape York Peninsula and uh, overseeing uh, some things that were beyond his control, a revival that broke out in Aracoon, that community on the Cape York Peninsula and a little town of 1,300 people and all of a sudden a 1,000 people in church. And this is just a few years back. Uh, These sorts of things are incredible and, of course, uh, they don't last a long time uh, I recall talking to uh, Craig, the minister, Milcheski, Craig Milcheski, and uh, he was describing, you know, what it was like when revival was coming and then what things were like at the peak of revival and then recognising signs that the revival was waning. So things like that happen. But it's not just Aracoon. Other uh, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander communities have also experienced revival. Uh, Elko Island, uh, you across the detail at Elko Island, are you, Kurt? I've probably just dipped my toes in the water on Elko Island, to be honest, Um, but I know that it happened in the 1970s, and um, as a result of that revival, um, Indigenous people from Elko Island and, and sort of that region ended up going all around Australia preaching the gospel as well, particularly in Indigenous communities. And so it was kind of this, this uh, yeah, just this outbreak of, um, of, of basically revival flames that spread around Indigenous communities, which is just amazing. And um, that one's come up a lot. Elko Island's come up a lot in uh, just chatting to people and the research that we've done so far. Uh, but it's funny, I, I really hadn't heard of it until um, I began research for this book. And in some ways that um, is suggestive of 
the fact that in Australian, you know, Christian history, sometimes we can um, be a little bit forgetful or a bit neglectful of um, the role that Indigenous um, believers have played. And so we're really interested, Warwick and I, in, in hearing stories, first-hand stories from Indigenous people um, and, yeah, just accounts perhaps from family members. Um, if your listeners have any of those, particularly around Indigenous revivals, we'd love to hear some more stories. You know, it's not spoken about much at all in mainstream media, but the spirituality of Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christians is something just special. It is really special. And, uh, you know, we hear a lot of negatives about what happens within Aboriginal communities, but uh, what happens when there is revival and what's happening in uh, the spirituality in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community is so often so, so exciting. Hey, let's talk about the Jesus movement of the 1970s. Warwick Marsh, you were there, weren't you? I was, um, and there was definitely, looking back, I mean, sometimes revivals, it's very hard to define, and sometimes the best way is to look back at it and then sort of analyse it. Uh, I came to uh, the Lighthouse Church in Wollongong in January 1972 with the Youth of the Mission Summer of Service team, and we walked into what, what I now realise was a full-tilt revival. And again, the best way to describe a full tilt revival from looking at history is that, as Jonathan Edwards said uh, in um, you know, 1735, people came to Christ in great flocks. And at that time, uh, there were hundreds of people giving their lives to Christ at this little coffee shop. Now, it wasn't just in Wollongong. It was happening in another coffee shop in Wollongong run by uh, a wonderful evangelical group of people. People were coming to Christ uh, literally all the time. There was a church, at, uh, an Anglican church at uh, Ferry Meadow run by Charles Widdison, his wife, Alice, uh, and was uh, colloquially called Fiery Meadow. So people were coming to Christ. Uh, and people getting healed, people getting miracles, things were happening. I can remember vividly one, no- one night in, the, in this coffee shop, and it was, uh, it was pretty bodgy coffee. It was international roast. It wasn't really um, anything to, to skite about. It, we gave it away for free. People would come in there, and there was, say, in the coffee shop, there was, it could fit about 80 people. Well, about, you know, uh, 60 of them, uh, 60, 65 of them were non-Christians, so it was one Christian to one table with five or six people who weren't Christians, and we were sharing the gospel, and that's how it was. And people were coming to Christ, um, you know, daily, weekly. People would knock at the door and say, I don't know why I'm here. Uh, and then we'd, we, because this was happening so often, um, my dear brother, Neil, it, uh, it, we realized it was the Lord, and we said, well, come in. God wants you to meet you, and God wants to touch you. And we'd lead people in the sinner's prayer, and they'd start getting deliverance, or they'd start quoting great reams of scriptures that they'd never, ever heard of before. And we were just staggered, and it was a, it was a God thing. It, we, we, you can't manufacture revival. You can't create revival. Yes, prayer creates revival, but it's ultimately God that authors it. And so I, I was a living testament to that, and that was really the period of the Jesus movement. It went right around the world, 69, 70, 71, 72. And there's many stories right around Australia we've, we've, we're discovering, aren't we, Kurt, of people who experienced God's spirit and came to Christ at that time. And yes, I do believe it was a worldwide move of the spirit of God. And it resulted in people coming to Christ. There was a change in the culture with the music. Um, you know, there was a change uh, uh, back towards Christ. But sadly, of course, it, uh, it certainly wasn't long before things started to slip back. So, yes, we're, we're working towards uh, long-term revival, aren't we, Kurt? Absolutely, we are. 
You know, there are a curiosity in the minds of Christian believers that I think I've noted, and people have all sorts of different ideas what revival looks like and what it feels like. Uh, I did a little bit of reading uh, from Robert Evans, who you mentioned as one of the writers about revivals in Australia, and uh, and uh, he talked about the symptoms of evangelical revival. Preaching the word with unusual effect, attended by an unusual thirst to hear the word of God. Uh, the prevalence of anxious inquirers and earnest desire for God expressed in much secret and social prayer. It really is a change in the spiritual atmosphere of what happens for the individual. And, and when it's in a group setting, what's happening in the group setting? Kurt, uh, those sorts of things, symptoms of an evangelical revival, it's the sort of curiosity we have. What will it feel like when revival comes? Yeah, I mean, those descriptions are brilliant, Neil. And there are, as I've read um, more and more about revival, there are some brilliant definitions of it. Um, and yeah, very similar to what you've just um, sort of explained there. But one of the uh, helpful explanations I've also uh, heard is that basically revival is an acceleration of what God is normally doing. But, you know, it's accelerated and and just kind of on this macro scale. And so, you know, in, in your life and in my life, um, you know, fairly regularly, I'm sure we hear that this person has come to faith or this amazing prayer meeting or worship time at church took place or a really great sermon was preached. That's always happening in the church. But what a revival is, is it's an acceleration of those things so that, um, you know, people come into faith and and worship services and, and amazing preaching, all of it's kind of compacted together and it actually runs uh, for an extended period of time. And as a result, we see, you know, large numbers of people coming to faith, large numbers of Christians being refreshed in their, in their faith in Jesus, and then also amazing um, sort of social and moral reformation take place as a result. Is it fair enough to say, Warwick Marsh, that if you have been a part of a Christian family and you've grown up in that Christian family and you've adopted the values of your Christian parents and grandparents, the likelihood is that somewhere down your genealogical uh, line, there are people who've been part of some of these revivals we're talking about? Look, you've raised this and again, congratulations for bringing this out. Um, look, I, I, I've noticed this, and you probably sound sounds like you've noticed it too. In in my study of uh, great men of God, and my study of church history, and even my own sort of um, just talking to different people in my own world and my life, <clears throat> you notice that that oftentimes, uh, you know, there's a, there's a genealogy of Christ, if you like. There's a genealogy of the Holy Spirit in people's lives and families, and it can go back, um, you know, several generations. I mean, Jonathan Edwards would be a classic example of a man who actually changed history through his family. Uh, dozens and dozens of his forebears ended up as ministers, some as high court judges, some as, um, I think one of them was uh, President of the United States. And he, it all came from a very godly man who was actually immersed in an incredible move of the Spirit of God, not once but several times in the mid-1700s. So, yes, I do believe that it, it, maybe it's not always the case but I would say, um, you know, it could well be a majority of the cases where there's been this touch of heaven, uh, if you like, a, a wonderful touch of heaven that comes to a community, to a, a, a city, to a nation, to a region. And out of that, people come to Christ. And that seed of life, if you like, the seed of Christ, the seed of faith uh, is passed on uh, generation to generation by the grace of God. 
and by hard work of uh, wonderful parents. Uh, let's come back to the first century for a few moments. Uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, you'll be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's anticipation, isn't there, in those words, Kurt, that there will be a growth of belief and transformed lives and transformed cultures that go forth from Jesus until the present. Uh, Your book, Great Southland Revival, uh, I mentioned right back to the introduction that the timeline starts in the book of Acts. How significant is it that you can cover some of those early revival stories and lead them all the way to the present? Yeah, it's extremely important, I think, that we begin in the book of Acts because really it's from the Bible that we can derive a definition of revival. Uh, Not that that word um, or a definition for it appears in Scripture, but a model for it certainly does. And in fact, even before the book of Acts, there's, there's models or types of revival that take place in the Old Testament. So we'll also tap into that as um, probably seven or maybe ten um, quite significant revival moments in the Old Testament. And they sort of foreshadow what ends up happening in Acts. So in one day in Jerusalem, 3,000 people come to faith uh, on the day of Pentecost. And people who were there were from nations all around Israel, and they went back into their nations. Um, They were given the ability to speak in tongues, and they could therefore communicate the gospel um, to their hometowns when they returned. And from there, the gospel went out. We know that the first century and the second, third century, there was amazing rapid spread of, of Christianity all through the Roman Empire. And eventually it became the state religion of the Roman Empire. And it was from there, obviously, that later revival movements took place, like the Reformation and the Moravians. And um, and that's really where we derive our heritage from um, as Australians, um, was, was the spiritual renewal and revivals that took place in Europe. Well, so it's really much. important that we go back to Acts. Wonderful stuff. Warwick Marsh, uh, let me just hit you with this because we're running out of time. Uh, in some sense, we might think that Australians are becoming so secular in our thinking that we are not anticipating a supernatural move of God. Uh, But God has confounded so many through the history of the world and uh, confounded even those here in our own Australian history. Uh, What are your thinking? What's your thinking about how Aussies uh, might uh, be so secular minded? They they just not on the lookout for a supernatural move. (laughs) Well, um, Again, you uh, phrase things in a very challenging way, in a very beautiful way, I might add, Neil. I agree that this this whole idea of God moving in a supernatural way, convicting men of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, and that people would be come to Christ, which again is the work of the Holy Spirit. It says, no man can come to Christ except I draw him. And we know the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts. And in fact, uh, Ronnie Williams, an Aboriginal friend, a pastor, who was a leader and a father in the faith to me, passed on to glory, God bless him. He wrote a song, The Holy Spirit's like a good blue healer. He nips him in the ankles, even crazy blokes who fight. And he, he chases up, the, he basically rounds up the, the, stray, the strays, you see. So the Holy Spirit's working all the time. Uh, the Holy Spirit's working in our nation. But there seems to be times when God moves in a really amazing way. And yes, we need that desperately, Neil. Uh, in my, it's like revival or bust. I used to think 20 years ago that revival was like this optional extra. You can get a car with the mags or you get the car with the sunroof, but you don't have to have the sunroof or the mags. But right now, we need Christianity with a revival, a Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival that convicts men of sin and righteousness and judgment, convicts men and women of their need for Christ and for a Saviour, and that 
people will be drawn to Christ, that, that, will, that there will be great preachers raised up, both men and women, who will share the gospel right across our nation, and our nation will return to Jesus Christ. Because our Constitution says, 1901 Constitution says, humbly relying on the blessings of Almighty God. That is our heritage. That is what we need to work towards. Uh, you have a wonderful way of bringing in a tremendous metaphor there that might be worth thinking about and enlarging on uh, the sort of car you're driving. And so many of us Christians, I suspect, uh, jump into the car and uh, we're just not sure what sort of motor there is under the hood. But uh, God is the one who is, uh, you know, he's into supercharging. Uh, he's into the full-blown yep. motor model and uh, and expecting that he's going to do something soon is something that ought to be at our heart. Now, for listeners who have that genealogy in mind, you've got your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, you know that there is a connection to some of those revivals of Australia's history. I'm going to give you an email address and you can connect directly with Kurt and with Warwick through this email address. So scramble for a pen for a moment and write this down. Info at ozheart.org.au Ozheart spelt A-U-S-H-E-A-R-T Info at ozheart.org.au Worthwhile uh, passing on some of your family history because uh, it just might end up in this new book that we are talking about today. Uh, The book uh, is coming out in September. Uh, The book is called Great Southland Revival. Uh, You can imagine Kurt will be working very hard, and if we can work him extra hard, if you send him lots of great detail, he will be wallowing like a pig in mud. Uh, Excuse me, it's (laughs) talking about that like that, Kurt. But, hey, congratulations on the new initiative. Uh, The proof will be in the pudding. It's yet to come out in September, but... To the two of you, uh, Kurt Mulberg and Warwick Marsh, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with listeners today. And uh, let's just anticipate listeners can participate in what is going to be a great book. So uh, to you, Kurt, thanks so much for your uh, being on 2020 today. Appreciate it very much, Neil. Thank you. And to you, Warwick, thank you so much. As always, God bless you, Neil. And Solil Dio Gloria. To God be the glory. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.